Welcome to PMA Takes on Tech, the podcast that explores the problems, solutions, people, and ideas that are shaping the future of the produce industry. I'm your host, Bonnie Estes, Vice President of Technology for the Produce Marketing Association, and I've spent years in the ag tech sector. So I can attest, it's hard to navigate this ever-changing world in developing and adopting new solutions to industry problems. Thanks for joining us and for allowing us to serve as your guide to the new world of produce and technology. My goal of the podcast is to outline a problem in the produce industry and then discuss several possible solutions that can be deployed today. Stout Industrial Technology collaborates with customers to build and launch industrial technology solutions that are designed to last. The Smart Cultivator combines a proprietary, agriculturally proven mechanical platform with Stout True Vision technology to eliminate weeds and cultivate ground in a single pass. Visit stoutagtech.com. That's S-T-O-U-T-A-G-T-E-C-H.com to learn more. If you are anywhere in the food supply chain, from producer to retailer food service, you're going to love this episode. Also, if you are a tech provider or investor in the food supply chain, you should listen up. I talk with Shauna Day and Britta Rosenheim of Colterra Capital about their landscape of the supply chain and the trends that they're seeing. Most of the investments to date have been focused at either end of the supply chain, either in ag tech or food tech. This landscape focuses on everything it takes to get food from post-harvest to retail. Get ready to take notes. They talk about the four pillars of the supply chain and the seven innovation drivers. We also discuss why this is the time for investment in the supply chain and the difference technology can make. Let's jump into the conversation. Britta and Shauna, it's so great to have you on the podcast. As you know, I'm such a big fan of your work. You recently published your Supply Chain Tech Landscape 2021, which is a masterpiece view of the industry. You've also laid out trends and the importance of investing in the supply chain now. For those of you listening who are near a computer or your phone, you can Google Colterra Capital and open up the landscape. We'll talk about it later. But before we get to that, let's get to some background. So tell me about who you are and a little bit uh, about how you got there uh, and your focus on the supply chain. Uh, thanks very much, Bonnie. It's great to be with you. I'm Shauna Day, and I'll give Britta Rosenheim a chance to introduce herself in just a second, but I'll jump in first um, and just give you a little bit of background of, about the journey and, and how, how we kind of got here. So I've historically covered ag tech, and, and some of your audience members might have seen the farm tech and ag tech landscapes we've published for the last five or six years. And um, we really look at that through the lens of IT for food and ag. So we're looking at software, hardware applications. And I think I cover at this stage about 1,600 companies that's probably growing on a global basis. And and so this was really a fun opportunity for Britta and I to do some collaboration um, as we look into the messy middle of food and ag. But just kind of by way of background, I sit in the Central Valley in California. So I'm, I'm based in Turlock. And you know, this was kind of a natural extension for me to look into the supply chain, uh, given that kind of ag background in the in the ag roots. And not only that, I mean, in California, it's a $200 billion food processing industry. And 
a lot of that takes place in the Central Valley as well. So this has kind of been a passion of mine since I moved back to my hometown about seven years ago um, and really spent more and more time thinking about not only, you know, what's happening in the farm, on the in the field, but also the value add, the food processing, manufacturing, and a lot of the logistics. So I'll kick it over to Britta to give a little bit of her background. Thanks, Shauna. Yep, this is Britta Rosenheim. Um, so for me, it was also a national ex extension going upwards. Uh, you know, historically over the last decade, I've focused on technologies that are supporting the retail, CPG, and, and restaurant sectors. So uh, you know, obviously, they're very tied to the supply chain. And um, you know, over the, the many years, I've I've spent time looking at pockets of supply chain. But you know, I think COVID really unearthed an opportunity for us to roll up our sleeves. Um, connect our worlds and you know, really understand the different technologies associated with the different value chains uh, across the food supply chain. So really great timing. Great. Thanks. So please define um, for us what supply chain means to you. And remember that many of my listeners are in the produce industry. So how do you, how do you define supply chain? Yeah. I mean, I think we spent a lot of time actually uh, thinking about how we position it, how we define it as we were creating the landscape itself. So we'll unpack a little bit of that later on in the conversation, but kind of fundamentally, we see the supply chain um, in four kind of pillars, if you will. Uh, first mile, so that's basically what's happening from the farm gate to the first packer shipper, um, processor, primary processor, the first kind of handoff. The second pillar is really around production and food manufacturing value add. The third in, in our view would be around distribution logistics. And then the fourth would be kind of demand. So really what's happening closest to the retailer, or the food service provider, really that kind of loading dock. Um, and then, you know, Brita's kind of world picks up within the, the walls of the retailer food service and, and looking at food tech. But that's really how we've, we've kind of approached the, um, the supply chain, as it were. And then as we thought about, you know, what are some of the innovation drivers within that supply chain, we really got got pretty deep over the course of, of 2020, looking at sort of seven different distinct um, innovation value drivers, strategy and analytics. So really thinking about how to improve uh, responses to changing dynamics and kind of internal shocks as we saw in, in 2020, but just internal um, uh, considerations, you know, whether it's weather, uh, trade, um, uh, labor disputes, you know, what's happening on the ground. We looked at planning and execution. So how do we create a, an environment of more responsive operations, better forecasting, better planning? We looked at asset utilization. I think this is a particularly interesting one as we start to think about um, you know, load planning and, and transportation and logistics and um, co-packers. You know, how do people use their assets um, and how can, can technology improve the, the use of those assets in a more productive and profitable way? Of course, labor is something um, that's that's you know near and dear to I'm sure most of your audience's uh, ears and, and hearts in, in this topic. You know, as an innovation driver, we really believe that labor is going to be a key influencer in terms of adoption of, of automation and, and technology. But not only that, just just worker safety as well. So, what kinds of tools and technologies can be applied to improving um, worker safety? Um, of course, quality and food safety is another key innovation driver that we looked at in the supply chain. And that's really thinking about how you decrease um, FSQ food safety and quality costs, you know, costs to, to comply and, and report, um, to monitor, 
how do you mitigate those risks, food safety risks in particular? And, and our produce listeners would probably um, really identify with, with kind of more real-time technologies and more real-time tools to, to help mitigate food safety risks. And then, of course, extending shelf life. And we've seen some really interesting um, innovative technologies there. Um, the sixth, uh, sixth pillar is really thinking about vendor and order management, and in our case, grower management. So, you know, how do you kind of digitize some of those back office processes and, and improve ability to collaborate among supply chain partners? And then finally, um, as a key innovation driver, the physical flow of goods, right? How do you increase visibility into the cold chain? Um, how do you reduce transportation costs? How do you reduce penalties and rejections from the retailers um, with, with sort of uh, uh, track and trace technology and, and reporting technologies? So that's it's a long-winded way of saying how we think about the supply chain, but that's how um, we've defined it in the landscape and then thought about investment opportunities and, and innovation opportunities across the, the supply chain. Wow, there's a lot in that. <laughs> that could be a whole other conversation. We'll come back someday and talk about that. <laughs> yeah. No, those are, I mean, that's that can only be spoken by uh, someone who has really dissected this and looked at it very closely. So um, we'll we'll dig deeper into some of that. So value creation to date has been consolidated at the endpoints of food and ag, as you were talking about. So growing and harvesting at one end where there's been um, a lot of technologies developed and a lot of money invested um, in ag tech on that side. And then, um, which is Shauna, what you've worked on a lot, and then uh, retail and food service kind of at the other side, there's been a lot of investment and technology development, um, which Britta, you've worked on a lot. So why do you think this is the time for investment in the supply chain and how has COVID accelerated this need? Sure, I'll take that one. You know, I think, you know, in, in doing this work, uh, you know, even ahead of COVID, we are reaching a unique inflection point in the evolution of the food supply chain. Uh, we do think that there's growing, you know, agreement and understanding by food supply chain stakeholders that they can no longer put off investment into technology. Um, so we're seeing, you know, increasing digital readiness, obviously spurred by, uh, you know, COVID supply chain dislocations. Um, but we're also seeing new innovation in terms on, from the tech companies themselves, new tech breakthroughs uh, that are focused on you know, the new, new bleh, excuse me, <laughs> focused on the unique nuances uh, of today's food industry. Um, you know, some of that, again, pre-COVID existed, post-COVID exacerbated, you know, these shifting consumer preferences, the you know, tremendous increase in omnichannel, uh, you know, that's putting greater pressure on suppliers to adopt to the dynamic demands of the buyers. Um, of course, we're seeing, you know, as Sh Shauna referenced, you know, acute labor shortages that's driving the need for automation. Uh, you know, and taking a step back, we're looking at market and investor demands for increased traceability and sustainability. Um, you know, so I think, you know, those are a number, some of the key drivers for, uh, you know, that, that were percolating ahead of COVID. But I think we've really sharpened. Uh, the focus of, of the different participants across the supply chain and recognize that there, there is urgency that that technology can, can address. Yeah. And I think with COVID, you know, most before COVID, most Americans didn't even consider the food supply chain They you know, had never yep. even thought of it because food always showed up. And so I think that certainly has put some consumer focus on it as well. Yep. So what part yep. does digitalization play? And can you give some examples of that? 
Certainly. Yeah. So, so just building on that, you know, I think we're, we're seeing this increased recognition that accumulated technical debt is unsustainable in the supply chain. You know, right now, the supply chain tech category is, is highly fragmented. We're seeing a lot of legacy or very specialized or highly customized you know, horizontal enterprise tech solutions. Um, and so, so that's what we're dealing with. Digitalization exists, right? But we're looking, how do we take it to the next level uh, and create interoperability across those solutions? Uh, you know, so we're seeing, uh, you know, kind of clear venture opportunities to develop, we think, vertical plays in, in strategy and analytics, robotics, automation, you know, specialized distribution and logistics players. All of those rely on you know, kind of unsiloed data, uh, you know, connecting systems across the supply chain. Uh, we're also seeing artificial intelligence, machine learning, IoT, that, and other advancements that are they're driving tech into more complex physical spaces. And so that's uh, you know factories, roads, warehouses, farms, where historically we didn't have uh, a lot of technology. Um, and so you know that's paving the way for you know, a broader digitalized platform um, foundation. Well, you know we're looking, for example, you know just the function of vendor and order management, right? We know Excel and email, they're the king of supply chain applications still to date. Um, you know, but there's increasing adoption for business automation, process automation software. It helps um, operators in the first mile and in retail, you know, digitize those back office uh, functions like document processing, payments, uh, and, and those that, you know, RPA, robotic process automation, um, there's a, there are a number of different technologies that are helping to un, you know, create a, an underlying digital foundation to the supply chain. Uh, ultimately, that supports increased collaboration, internal and external, you know, better data quality, better insights, um, you know, ultimately optimized uh, procurement processes for the retailers because they have better insights, uh, better predictive processes. And you know, we think it, it has the potential to reduce overall time to market it. And that's particularly important, obviously, in, in the fresh and perishable space. You'd mentioned interoperability, which is mm-hmm. um, an issue across the whole supply chain on farm all the way through to retailer. And so how do, yeah. how do you think about that? And how do you think that's going to play out? Because right now it seems like there's so many different systems and they don't they don't speak to each other. When we started this project, this odyssey, um, Last year, you know, I really started to fixate on this idea of so what? So if you have more data, how would that have changed some of the you know massive dislocations that we saw in the food supply chain? And a few that come to my mind just based on where I sit, you know, we saw um, dairy processors kind of shut down overnight because they might may have been um, servicing the food food service industry, and all of a sudden, you know, they didn't need twenty pound totes of mozzarella anymore. And then you'd see milk, you know dairy producers then having to dump milk in their in their fields. And that kind of dislocation, I think, really hit people hard. But getting back to that question of, you know, I asked myself, so what if we would have had more data, how would that have changed that outcome? And that's kind of got us to sort of pull on this um, sweater thread of data interoperability and how data flows through the supply chain to kind of start, you know, we were, the more we pulled on it, the more things kind of unraveled as we were trying to get to some of these answers. But um, 
I think, you know, like you kind of have to unpack what that, what the data is. Is it specs? You know, is it traceability data? Is it food safety data? You know, what is the data that needs to get passed from one hand to the next? Uh, you know, we kind of think about it in two ways, right? You've got what exists within the four walls. And a lot of that's going to be your production data, your man manufacturing execution systems, or um, your, your sort of things that you need to operate the business within the four walls. But then you've got to share some of the, that selected data with your supply chain partners as well. And as we've sort of started to map out those data flows, which we did sort of an agonizing level of, of detail to get to some of those answers, those so what answers, then we kind of sort of backed ourselves out of it and said, okay, so what are some of those adoption headwinds in terms of, of getting people to share data or adopt digital technologies to kind of aid in the sharing of data? And Britta mentioned um, one, which I think is a, is a real sort of struggle and, and pain point, and it's that Excel and email, you know, sort of remain the de facto technology standards in, in, in many industries. It's not unique to food and ag, but we certainly see that in, in food and ag. Um, you know, we struggle with data quality, right? There's a lot of sort of manual entry. You write something down in the field or out on the, on the loading dock and you've got to give a piece of paper to somebody in the office who transcribes it. Um, functional silos, you know, that's another, we understand the, the pain of functional silos and decision-making well now. I think if you're talking to an FSQ manager, procurement manager, a transportation manager, they might have different pain points and the same solution's not going to, necessarily solve um, their individual pain points. Um, I think probably one of the biggest that um, either you and your audience may, may identify with is really change management um, or, or sort of incremental um, improvement or, or process improvement, however you want to call it. Um, getting people to change the way that they've always done things is really, really difficult. And it takes leadership and capacity building and the technology has to be easy to use, and there has to be a short learning curve. You know, these are all, I think, learnings that the that the technology companies and the business leaders um, are, are probably struggling with. But but hopefully, we sort of get over that inflection point, and we start to see more of that commitment to um, digitalizing, you know, businesses and and you know, not sort of trying to do everything all at once, but but really um, having a, a sort of long-term strategy for implementing technologies and also recognizing that the ROI of, of tech starts to come when you can combine some of these systems and data sets. So having kind of reasonable expectations for um, ROI at, um, in one system versus a kind of systems of systems where you really start to hum in terms of the decision support, but it doesn't happen overnight. Yeah, I was listening to this um, South by Southwest virtual conference um, presentation um, a couple of weeks ago, and it was a guy talking about how now every company is a software company, and it was it was very compelling in them talking about you know if if you're all the tools that you need to be using just to do business right now, you know you you better have people oriented around how do things connect. Um, yeah. How does data gets get passed through? So I think that's going to be a big change in in our industry, along with every industry. So yeah. let's and, and just just I'd say just building on that that one particular point is I think that's that's where we're seeing the opportunity, especially at the venture side. Uh, you know, you as I mentioned, you have a lot of legacy systems, but we're seeing you know, kind of an increase of uh, the software SaaS. Uh, early stage companies that are using AI and machine learning to, 
you know, better harmonized data from legacy systems. Um, so they're even straddling uh, the existing uh, systems. You don't have to rip and replace, but they are, you know, they're integrating them to better optimize uh, for, you know, real-time planning visibility by, you know, pulling from multiple systems. So you're getting, you know, kind of the uh, modern lens and, you know, kind of, this is also another driver, one other driver I'd say is consumerization of enterprise tech, right? You're getting, those kind of modern um, user experiences uh, and, and pulling this data from lots of legacy systems uh, in order to make better decisions. And so in the strategy analysis piece, you know, that's where we think there's a, there's a, a lot of opportunity for, for earlier stage teams to, to help move the needle there. Yeah, they were also talking about like just making the decision of of do you build or buy, you know, like what systems right. are out there, yep. like AWS, that you can, you know, you don't have to build everything yourself, but what you what can you kind of plug everything into? And so there's, I mean, that's for a company that doesn't normally use those systems, just just the integration of everything is going to be a, a challenge as well. Certainly, yep. Yeah. So, Shauna, you and I have had this conversation a little bit before about the first mile, but um, let's kind of open it up again to talk about like what happens at first mile and um, what happens there right after harvesting has one of the biggest effects on produce quality and shelf life. So what do you see as the important technologies and innovations that are coming there and are needed there in the first mile? Yeah, I mean, Britt is sitting in New York right now, and I'm in California, and I can probably hear her eyes rolling back in her head because we talk about, I talk about first mile so much, I'm obsessed with it. Every time I get on the phone with somebody and I have a chance to talk about first mile or ask questions, I do. So I'd love to answer this question. Um, okay, so, you know, when, again, when we started unpacking this, I did a lot of work just to kind of understand what actually happens in the first mile, what data is collected from harvest and sort of labor planning, harvest planning, harvest equipment planning, actually harvesting its, you know, the harvest um, activities themselves um, to then kind of load scheduling, load logistics. Uh, once it sort of leaves the field, then looking at receiving, grading, QA, QC, um, how, are the, how are the commodities stored? And then, you know, how are they marketed? How are they sold? And the shipping logistics from that point. And then also within that first mile umbrella, and you'll, you'll see this on the landscape, is really that grower contract management, um, grower management. So that's where the payments, the certifications um, are really, you know, the, the sort of tools and technologies to keep records there. So that's a lot. You know, those are a lot of, of kind of discrete um, moving pieces that obviously have a lot of dependencies on one another as well. And, you know, there's a, there's a whole bunch of different data sets that go along with, with those different activities. And by data sets, they don't necessarily go into a computer. They are on a notebook somewhere, or they sit in a dispatcher's head who's worked, you know, on, on sort of load planning and, and transportation logistics for 20 years. So, you know, that's the, that's the area of, um, of the first mile that I, I'm really excited about, but really, I think we have a long way to go in terms of digitalization. You know, this is probably the least digitized part of, of our sort of supply chain as we've defined it. Um, you know, that I think a lot of the activity that, that at least I've seen as we've, we've done a lot of the company research is really in that producer, um, you know, producer management, grower contracts. Um, there are you know, sort of workflows and, and task management activities there that plug into food safety 
and quality, and they plug into some of the other traceability applications that we're increasingly seeing um, more and more demand for. And then, of course, you have monitoring also. And uh, as, as you mentioned, and we've, we've talked about, you know, what happens in that first mile is so important from a quality and, and shelf life standpoint. You know, you might think that the, the cut to cool time is three hours or five hours, and it might be taking, you know, nine hours once you kind of look at the at the um, uh, the monitoring, you know, technologies. So I think those are those are just some of the areas that there's appears to be a lot of opportunity for technology intervention and and sort of better monitoring, reporting, um, and management of of relationships and contracts. So let's um, switch to the landscape that you've done. And so this is such an amazing piece of work. Um, and so those of you that can open this, um, it's at Cultura Capital and you can open and look in the landscape. Um, I realize that probably some people listening to this are either driving or folding laundry. So you might wanna open it up later and look at it. Um, but can you at a high level then um, walk us through kind of the backbone of the landscape? How did you, I mean, one of the things I found the most interesting about it was just how you even segmented everything. It was like looking into both of your brains to see how you think the way that you even segmented it. Cause that, that in itself was a, an amazing piece of work. So how did you break up the different sections and then how did you find the companies and kind of populate it? Yeah. I mean, so Britt and I spent most of, as many people in, in, uh, in the world know, we didn't travel very much in 2020. <laughs> so we had a chance to really go deep and in an undistracted sort of very focused way. And we realized probably about midway through that we had bit off a lot more than we could chew, but that was a challenge for us that we um, happily embraced. So it did not, this took us a long time to kind of figure out how to organize and not only organize the pillars, the supply side production and, and manufacturing distribution logistics and demand, but also really thinking about, okay, who's doing more strategy work? Who's doing more just the blocking and tackling execution? And then who are those kind of more um, value chain players that really cross over. And I, the first kind of, um, I guess, qualifications that I'd say, we fully recognize that there are many companies on this on this landscape that could fit into multiple categories. So we either, um, you know, had conversations with them to try to figure out what the predominant business model was, or some, we had to make some judgment calls there. And then the other thing that I would say is, I want, Britta would know um, exactly the number, I'm sure, but I think we've got about three or 400 logos. I, we, we came up with about 650 companies um, in the database, and we really approached this in the same way that we approach our respective landscapes, um, mine on the ag tech side, Britta on the food tech. You know, we do just a lot of research. We have our own proprietary databases. Um, we talk to a, a large number of companies, which is great about these maps. It gives us a chance to get to know where um, the really exciting innovators are, and, and we love that part of our, our, of our work. Um, but you know, just identify it, it was it was new to us, right? And a lot of these companies are also more horizontal, especially if we look at the production and logistics and distribution. You know, food and ag might be a vertical that they have a footprint in. That was kind of a, a, a criteria for us. Every company on this on this um, landscape has a has a footprint in food and ag, um, although many are horizontal. And that was really how we started to kind of come up with this thesis of okay, now is the time. It feels like we are in that moment where 
verticalized food and ag specific, food and bev specific um, technologies are really going to you know, sort of advance the the modernization of of the of the food supply chain. And and again, we go look back at the massive dislocations that we saw in the supply chain in 2020, and that sense of urgency. I think is really sort of creating an interesting moment for us. And um, we're excited to, to get to know, and, and we've, we'll shortly make our first our announcement and a first mile um, investment that we've made in the last couple of weeks. So we're really excited to, to um, you know, support the companies that are looking at building these food and ag specific data sets to address um, you know, some of these supply chain challenges. Yeah, when I look at that landscape and that's so many um, really smart people and a bunch of money that's gone into it and great technology that's being directed to the supply chain. So I really, um, I, I think people wouldn't realize that that's happening without you really shining a light on it. Yeah, I mean, the other the other thing that we did, and you touched on this earlier, is that the um, investment is really sort of gathered around the endpoints, right? Food tech and ag tech. But, and, and here we see a lot of internal R&D. You've got mature companies here that, that sort of obviously reinvest. So we're, we're not talking about outside investment. I fully understand that there's great R&D that's done. But if you actually look at the venture and private equity investment in the kind of messy middle here, it's, it is um, you sort of surprisingly low given the size of, of the prize. We kind of call this $150 billion opportunity. And the proportion of outside, you know, risk capital and, and outside investment that's flowed into uh, the spaces is surprisingly low given the size of that prize. Well, do you think that's because people don't see it as an opportunity or don't know how to attack it? Or um, now that now that you've kind of broke it open, you think people are, are going to rush in or, or, you know, why isn't there more money flowing into there? I mean, look, food processing isn't very sexy. You know? <laughs> I, yeah, it's just, it's, um, we hope that that changes. We hope that as people start to understand the really interesting stuff, work that's being done around food safety detection, you know, um, freshness, freshness control application. Um, there are some really uh, interesting opportunities to, to move the needle significantly, particularly when we talk about these big picture challenges like food waste, right? I mean, that is... Everybody talks about food waste. Well, here's you know here's a place where we can deploy capital to really move the needle um, and and kind of improve the the metrics around food waste, for example. So you um, you all have identified five trends that will accelerate tech adoption. Um, can you kind of go through some of those and and highlight what you see are the important trends? Yeah, I mean, I think in the so I'll start and Britt and I can can both speak to this. Um, you know, on the supply side, and this this applies across the board, but really operational visibility. As I mentioned before, it's the first mile is is kind of the least digitized part of of um, the food supply chain. So, um, increasing that that level of digital um, the digitalization, you know, tech enabled resource and 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 asset planning. I think that's really going to be an important trend to watch. As we look at, you know, just anecdotally, I drive around um, in my part of the valley and I'll drive by a field, you know, a, a field every couple of miles where you see 20 empty um, trailers or 30 empty trailers. And you kind of scratch your head and think, wow, I wonder if there's a way to better um, utilize or optimize the CapEx that's gone into those, you know, 30, 20 or 30 empty trailers. So really using technology to, to, to improve resource planning and, and allocation. And then the other area that we kind of looked at, and you'll see this on the map, is 
um, sort of data-driven market insights, right? That, you know, what kind of data and information can, can, um, can marketers, can traders use to reduce volatility, to reduce risk, to reduce um, loss, you know, across the supply chain. I think there's a lot of neat work that's, that's actually been done and will continue to appear on the horizon around just those market insights. And then I'll also speak to the production piece, the food manufacturing piece. I think really thinking about industry 4.0 readiness and Britta touched on it earlier, but how do, how do a lot of these food manufacturing plants um, or, or food or value add plants really react to um, those industry 4.0 um, uh, innovations that are coming down the pipeline to improve automation, to improve worker safety, to reduce dependency on, on workers in some lines. Um, and then also to be able to provide, you know, we, we haven't talked very much about it, but you can, I don't know what number to use. You can use anywhere between 30 and, and 60,000 food processors in the U.S. alone. And there are obviously the very large ones that we've, we've seen and, and heard a lot about, but the, the SMBs, the small to mid-sized um, food processing, food manufacturing facilities and, and plants really don't have the same sort of end-to-end -end, um, operational platforms that some of the big guys have. And it'd be really, it's going to be exciting, I think, to see more of those types of, of kind of end-to-end -end technology solutions that can help those SMBs focus on productivity and, and profitability in their businesses. So I'll kick it over to Britta to talk about a couple of the others. Yeah. Um, and building on that, you know, looking at the logistics and distribution piece, which, uh, you know, straddles the entire supply chain. The one trend uh, in particular that we're, we're seeing in, in food and ag, but broadly is supply chain as a service. Uh, so layering in better even intelligent logistics and distribution um, options um, and not necessarily managing it all within house. So just in the same way that cloud computing, you know, allowed companies to you know, reduce their upfront capex, um, supply chain as a service is helping, you know, companies across the supply chain uh, augment their procurement, their production control, their manufacturing, you know, quality, warehousing, logistics. Uh, you know, kind of outsourcing that where it makes more sense uh, to leverage companies that are specializing uh, in those functions. And so, you know, that obviously you know, helps, especially on the earlier stage uh, side, helps, um, you know, SMBs get up to scale quickly, um, leveraging these um, other technologies. Um, I think, you know, another uh, piece of that in, in terms of intelligent logistics and distribution is uh, layering uh, robotics, right? So human robot collaboration. So we're in DCs um, and fulfillment centers, we're seeing increased robotics. You know, some uh, are autonomous, um, but increasingly we're seeing you know, that relationship between uh, humans and um, robotic solutions or AR, VR, in terms of training, um, in terms, we're seeing that middleware, um, the software systems that are supporting uh, the operations and uh, and the workers within the uh, within the warehouses. Um, and so, you know, I think that's generally a category that's been horizontal. And as we're seeing this increase in horizontal software, so looking at multiple industries. And as we're seeing the shift towards, you know, increased uh, e-commerce, you know, digital grocery ordering, we're, we're going to 
see increased uh, solutions that are focused on the fresh and perishable category uh, in terms of robotics and automation uh, at the, the warehouse and, and DC center, because, uh, you know, obviously they're, they're focused on, you know, how do you fulfill uh, at the quantity and speed that you need in order to make you know, e-commerce profitable? Um, you know, going a little further down the supply chain to demand, looking at you know, the actual retail and restaurant businesses themselves, um, you know, we're seeing a huge urgency for, for last mile economies of scale. Uh, how do you actually get it to the consumer? Um, and, you know, increased focus on you know, inventory management, demand planning, distribution. Um, how do you upgrade uh, your processes there to better react to you know, the consumer um, demands and, um, you know, these new uh, you know, business and revenue models, whether it's direct consumer, um, omni-channel, or uh, the click and collect options. Obviously, on the restaurant side, which we haven't talked about more, there's uh, you're not in business if, if you didn't uh, you know adopt uh, a digital uh, interface and you know online ordering and, and curbside pickup at a minimum uh, during this past year. So we've seen you can have a huge jump in terms of. Um, you know, kind of technical um, adoption, whether in you know through Instacart, whether through it's the large uh, you know third-party marketplaces. Not not all of it's done in-house, but you know, kind of helping these um, you know, restaurants and retailers um, adopt to these new uh, purchasing behaviors. Um, so I think that's that's changing uh, the kind of business model uh, approach on the demand side. And then, you know, just broadly, we're looking at, you know, if you're looking at taking a step back at the entire value chain, um, all of these lead to hopefully a tighter and better connection between supply and demand. You know, that's the holy grail there is, you know, and Bonnie, you had mentioned uh, ahead of this, when we were, we were talking, uh, when we were preparing for it, you know, there's little visibility between the warehouse and the point of sale, right? Where's my stuff? Where's my stuff going to? Uh, we don't, we still have, very siloed data and a, a number of technical gaps to fill there. So um, ultimately, all of these technologies should be supporting, uh, you know, better connection between supply and demand in terms of visibility. Yeah, I think that's definitely what the industry needs and what um, you look at that landscape and <laughs> think, okay, that's what it's going to take. <laughs> <laughs> But um, all right. Well, Britta and Shauna, this has been an incredible conversation. And I always learn so much from both of you. And I think you have one of the best views of what's happening in this whole middle piece. And I hope that that drives your investment and also um, other people's investment into this sector because it really supports uh, the whole food industry. So thank you very much for the work that you do and for spending this time with us today. Thanks for having us, Bonnie. Absolutely our pleasure. Thank you. That's it for this episode of PMA Takes on Tech. Thanks for allowing us to serve as your guide to the new world of produce and technology. Be sure to check out all our episodes at pma.com and wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and I would love to get any comments or suggestions of what you might want me to take on. For now, stay safe, eat your fruits and vegetables, and we will see you next time.